Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 4th, 2021. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater, grateful, living in Canby, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, April 2nd, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting. Share ID number is 16693, 16,693. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study, the share ID number is 16694, 16,694. What a delight. I feel it in my heart to have yet another opportunity to gather. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Sincerely. I'm so glad that you dialed in this morning. These Sundays, truly incredibly special. As it has been said before, a Vision for You Sunday Special Edition really is a time to sit back and enjoy the miracles of the program and sink deeply into the testimonies and teachings of those that are presenting so magnificently from their hearts through their experience. It is a step away from the weekday focused Big Book study into the lives of the recovered compulsive overeater. So it seems appropriate to say, and maybe it's a stretch, let me give you this quote, you may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. This morning, A Vision for You presents Chapter 9. This chapter is not about me. In detail, Chapter 9 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, concerns itself on matters of the family acting. After the booze, food in our case, has been put down, 12-step work is being done daily, the rigors of this program are being applied, many times getting back some, if not all the things that the alcoholic, food addict, lost and destroyed while in the grips of the addiction. Families coming together, healing, others reuniting and healing, others simply healing. It is one of the greatest gifts promised as a program of recovery, and we work for it. In one of the stories in the back of the book, the author says pointedly, because of the records to the wife and the transformation of the program that followed for him, and I quote, it seems I should have learned to love my wife and family first. The newcomer to AA last, but it was the other way around. Now, perhaps this comment by him was rather tongue-in-cheek, but the sentiment is not lost at all. The family, however it is defined and utilized, has suffered the most. The family. Hmm. What are we considering family here? Now, there's a question for you. Listen today because it may be within this presentation a broader idea of family will emerge. Open your mind and your heart to consider beyond the home for family. When you consider today's presentation, what will it take to reunite our lives to the universe of family? Today our guest speaker comes to us from Massachusetts. She is a strong advocate of of family all around the world all communities, all walks. She is passionate about OA recovery and how the steps unite us all, not only in her heart, but everywhere she puts her foot. 
an extremely loyal member of A Vision for You in English, but also in other languages as well. I do not want to steal her thunder. She will, in her words, illustrate the miracle of this program through her life and spiritual journey as she presents on Chapter 9. So, good morning, everybody. Again, let's get to it. A Vision for You is happy to welcome to the line today, Marcella M. If you would press star one, Marcella, please. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, visionaries. Um, I'm so delighted to be here today. My name is Marcella M. And I'm happily recovered in Massachusetts from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I just recently uh, celebrated 10 years of entire abstinence, as it is defined in the doctor's opinion. And A Vision for You is my home group in English and in Spanish. And um, so I joined OA, or I thought I joined OA in 1985 when I was still living in Mexico City. I've been, um, food has been out of control in my life since I was 10 years old. Um, And you know the drill, right? Eating against our will, dieting, up and down, up and up and up, crisis after crisis. In my um, 30s, I became an alcoholic, trying to control my food intake. In my 40s, I became an opioid, an amphetamine addict, trying to control my food intake. In 2008, I crawled into the rooms of AA, and I stopped drinking and using, thank you, God, but I started eating again. <laughs> you know how it is. So I was celebrating three months of um, clean sobriety, and I realized that I have gained 60 pounds in three, in three months, right? So here I go again. I didn't panic because I was told that this book was... Um, was literally a wholesale of miracles and that I would and will recover from the disease of uh, food addiction if I follow the the instructions of the book and that there were a group of women, men, on the phone that were doing just that. But of course, right, I wanted to cling. There must be a way that I can eat my food and still be happy, joyous, and free until I couldn't, and in a blessed February 22nd of 2008, I was granted um, full abstinence, entire abstinence, in my, of all my ingredients, which in my case are alcohol, goes without saying, uh, sugar, flour, everything that mimics or reminds me of sugar and flour, including artificial sweeteners. And, and then very soon after, I found A Vision for You. Brand in the very first year of A Vision for You, I was directed to A Vision for You, and then I started participating and listening. Then, um, so that's the story of how I um, became invested in studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous for my food problem. It goes without saying, I lost all the weight and some more because I have never been on a healthy body weight in my life since age 10. And I lost all my, my the extra weight and um, I lost all the struggle in my mind, all that noise in my mind. I'm fat, I'm hungry, I'm fat, I'm hungry. Should I eat this? Shouldn't I eat this? 
is this time to eat or is that not time? Like, you know, that crazy delusional world in which um, addicts like me live, we don't really truly cannot differentiate the true from the false. That completely went away. Um, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat any of my foods that are alcoholic to me. And another miracle is that I'm completely recovered from the food size looks obsession of the mind. Um, I was always paralyzed with dread when people took my picture or I couldn't stand my image in the mirror. I never knew how to dress. I was constantly mortified by my looks. And uh, by reading this book, I also um, was granted the incredible blessing of looking myself in the mirror or looking myself in a in a picture and say, yes, that's me. <laughs> in total acceptance. That is such a, that's, that I, I just, I'm so, I'm, I'm as grateful to not be um, heavy and to have a healthy way as I am grateful to be completely relieved with the morbid preoccupation with my looks. So I'm reading the big book, right? And at the very beginning, when I first joined A Vision for You, we didn't read the chapters after. Um, so we stopped at uh, A Vision for You, and then we, we started again, right? And, um, and then in AA, uh, in my other group, in the other fellowship, uh, we were reading to the wives one day and all of us were complaining. Oh, we were doing so well. Every oh, The whole book was about me and my problems and my expectations and my hopes and my symptoms and my prognosis, right? And now we're talking about the wife. Let's just skip that chapter because it doesn't talk about me. And I'm a self-centered addict. I want the book to be talking about myself. And that very morning, I'm kidding you not, a couple came into our meeting and it was a wife and a husband. And the wife was sobbing. And she said, I can't believe that I am in this chapter. I came because I am that person. And my husband is going to die if he doesn't stop um, drinking. And for the first few weeks, we read the, to the wives with a completely new pair of glasses. Right? And, and we were like moved, shocked, impressed and enlightened. Um, my husband, who's also a sober alcoholic, and I were in that room, and we started talking about us, right, as recovered alcoholics. I'll just go back for one second to the chapter of the, to the wife, where it says, uh, where it talks about the classification of the husbands. And Angelo and I said, well, it seems, right, according to the book, that I am a husband number four, because I'm that kind of person that for whom everybody despairs. De detox after detox, um, diagnosed with a whole spectrum of eating disorders, psychiatrist after psychiatrist, and I, I, I was just doomed to die, right? I was doomed to die. So it seems like the, my disease of eating compulsively is really in the final stages and that I don't have another relapse on me. Either I devote my life to the work of this uh, program or I start, you know, devolving and get hungry, eat my alcoholic food, food and die. Well, my husband, blessed be his heart, 
he's not a husband number four. He's a sober, beautiful, wonderful man. And and he uh, he suffered alcoholism too, maybe a husband number two. Not a terrible stage, right? So from the very beginning, we agreed that the amount of work that I needed to survive was way more than he needed to do. That was the beginning, right? When Angelo married me, um, he fell in love with a big, heavy-set woman. God bless him. <laughs> he adored me in all the glory of my 211 pounds. And he just saw something different, something that I didn't see. And while we were married, newly married, I got skinny. And that shaped, the, the, that really changed the balance, the equation of our relationship, right? Every day he was looking at me and he said, you know what? You're still married to the old guy. I have a brand new girlfriend that I'm still getting to know. I still, I still don't know who you are, right? I didn't know if I should take that well, as a, as a, to feel flattered or to feel threatened because the equation of our relationship changed. And, and this is where the family afterward comes handy, right? It says on page 122, if you want to read with me, it says, cessation of drinking is but the first step away from a highly strained abnormal condition. So when I was eating compulsively, Angelo would be, Angelo, my husband, he's a musician and a painter. Um, he painted my my portrait in, in a, this is a huge canvas, a huge canvas, the kind of canvas that occupies a third of a wall, right? He painted me in all the glory of my 180 pounds. <laughs> and I felt wonderful because I was already in a vision for you and I have gone from 211 pounds to 180, right? So I felt like beautiful, right? And and we were dating. And when I saw my image, because I was still not fully recovered, I felt mortified. And I said, I don't, I don't want, I don't want you to paint me like that. I'm too big. I'm too fat. I'm overweight. And I was really hurting his feelings. He said, Listen, with all due respect, I'm the one who's an artist. I'm the one who went to art school. I'm the one who has an impressive curriculum as a as a as an established artist, right? You are not going to tell me what's beautiful or what's not. And I realized that I had hurt his feelings very badly, that I was criticizing his good taste and and the person that he had poured his love and devotion into. And and I was determined to recover and see myself in a new light. So so that takes care of um, Angela and I, you know, we do um, AA, we do that program in a very different way. And that's good. That's good. I totally believe that I'm not qualified to evaluate his program or his sobriety. And he, God bless him, he really respects the fact that I need, that I have unusual needs <laughs> for recovery in English and in Spanish, and that I devote many hours a day to this work. And I'm employed, full-time employed, so I uh, consciously make time and space to be with him in, like, in full awareness. Um, when I was eating compulsively, 
he was playing music for me, he would like, this man would compose love songs for me. And I was not paying attention. Um, because in my mind, I was saying, I was thinking, I'm hungry, and I'm heavy, I'm fat, and I'm hungry. And the man was pouring his heart onto me, and I was not, I was not with him. Or, or he would paint me, he, this man likes to paint me. So he was painting my portrait, and I was just mortified. I'm big, I'm hungry. I'm big, I'm hungry. So I was not fully present with Angelo. In recovery, I have learned to set aside every day quality time for us to be together with God. Not with conceits, not in meetings, not with domestic trouble, just together under the light of the same higher power who grants us um, recovery every day. So um, family, who is my family? Um, and by the way, everything, all the ideas that I'm going to talk about today are not original. I heard them in Spanish, in Una Visión Para Ti. Um, people that speak Spanish, for the most part, are very community-oriented, and they're family-oriented. It is really unheard of of a Spanish-speaking person to live alone. I mean, you you come to see that more and more and more because English is the dominant culture in the world. But that is an acquired thing. Like if you are if you speak Spanish, we live in multi-generational homes. We're really really close to one another. Um, you get to know your neighbors, and you um, and you invest yourself and your energy into their lives. So, um, so these things um, I heard from Spanish-speaking people. So the word family um, comes from the root, the Latin root, famulos, uh, which means a slave. So back in the ancient Greek, slaves would live together to survive, right? To, to provide their very essential needs. And famulos, the, the Greek root of uh, famulos, the Latin root, is famos, which means hunger. So a family is a group of slaves that are hungry. Um, I, um, that's, how I, that's how AA became my first family. We were a group of people that were enslaved to their addiction, that were hungry for a higher power. That's the way I also feel bounded to a vision for you in English and Spanish. We were enslaved to um, the consumption of food, and, and we are hungry. We didn't know that we were hungry. First, for one another, right, the, the fellowship that we crave, that we didn't even know that we craved it, but that's why we were craving, the fellowship, and, and then to a higher power that is bigger, wider, um, multilingual for sure, right? So, um, so that's my family. My family is everybody who reads the big book because they need the big book. Alcoholics, drug addicts, food addicts, that's my family. I'm devoted to my family. Family comes first. Absolutely, family comes first. You know, if you're in program and, and you think that I can do something for you, God will give me that time, the energy, and the concentration to walk the walk with you and, and to be of service. And then, you know, I can, once I do, that's the very first thing that I do in my day. 
I wake up very early in the morning to sponsor people in Spanish. And then I sponsor people in English. And then I go to work to my full-time job. And and then at night, I, I come back home. Well, now I work from home since the pandemic. I come back home. I devote energy and time of attention to my living under the same roof um, family, which is my cat and my husband. And and then um, I go to another meeting in AA. So if we go back to the text, it says on page 123, it says, the family of an alcoholic longs for the return of happiness and security. Right? Um, I'm going to talk about my group today. When I was in, in Overeaters Anonymous, I I tried. Don't get don't get, don't get me wrong. I really 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 tried, and um, and now I see you know in perspective that what I was doing wrong was not going to the source of the solution. And I didn't do that out of pride because one of the resentments that I had against the higher power was that he gave these people to alcoholics and not to us. <laughs> I was really convinced. I felt <clears throat> a little bit of jealousy, right, like sibling rivalry, but I also felt like a little bit of indignation. How come alcoholics don't come to us and we give them our book, right? So I had to humble myself to say, as a compulsive overeater, oh, the people who have the most experience in recovery and relapse and spiritual awakening and uh, and the growth, right, of an awareness that there is a higher power are the alcoholics. Let me go to them, right? This is when I'm telling you, if nobody has ever invited you to an AA group, come to us. Come to mine. Um, call me. I'm in the phone list. Come to mine. You'll be welcome there. Okay, so now at the bottom it says, on page 123, it says, Now and then the family will plagued by specters from the past. Plagued, right? For the drinking career of almost every alcoholic has been marked by escapades, funny, humiliating, shameful, or traffic. I see myself in these words, right? My family of origin, um, I suffered a lot in my family of origin um, because I was made fun of for being very dark, the darkest in my family, and big, very big. And, of course, I was the one who ate the most. And I know that it was done without malice, right? to make fun of the young child who's heavier than everybody, but it really marked me. God has blessed me now in recovery um, to work professionally with young children um, that are heavily, um, that are morbidly obese and, and heavy set. And um, what I have found is that it is impossible to help a child or a teenager without helping with the whole entire family. Progress is done and, and, and can be done, right? But we have, unless everybody who's around that child um, does something different, the child will, is doomed to keep being, you know, heavy and obese and, 
and and become if he's not like this is one of the mysteries right like when is he too young to be a compulsive overeater the way that we understand it here right as an addiction as an addiction and frankly we don't know but the numbers are alarming right like more and more we see younger and younger and younger people um, exhibit the symptoms of this disease Okay, so of course we want to to experience some happiness and security in our families and in our groups, right? But there it says, though all buildings will eventually be replaced by finer ones, and of course, right, every single family who is not consuming um, substances, at least we're not in the verge of disaster, right? That horrific sense of impending doom, at least. Um, will be delayed, right? But now we need new structures that will take years to complete, years to complete, right? And I see that for myself in my little family with Angelo and me, my extended family with my sisters and, and, and my brother. My parents are deceased. With my in-laws, whom I adore, and uh, and with my neighbors, Right now with the pandemic, um, I have become acutely aware of how teeny small our planet is, right? I, I hope to a meetings all over the world and I have met the most interesting people <laughs> everywhere, right? I have um, religious Muslim people that I, I don't even understand how I live my life without them. Right, like they have a, an an insight of the big book and recovery that that is shaped and flavored by their culture and their geography and by their background. Right, I have um, I have friends everywhere in Israel, in Mexico, in Costa Rica, in Spain, in Texas, in Ohio, um, in California, in the Philippines. Right, it's a very, very small planet, and if we are, at, um, if we're afflicted with addiction, we have one solution, and that solution for us are the ideas of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and and we have been granted this incredible power to be uniquely qualified to help another person and bring them out from hell. So let's see, on page 127, I love this paragraph. It says in the middle of the page, since the home has suffered more than anything else, it is well that a man exerts himself there. Uh, when I ponder, right, like the influence, that, that incredible uh, role that a woman or a caretaker, a man, a father who's raising young children and is an, uh, a food addict in recovery, a compulsive overeater in recovery. I don't know about you guys, but every single time that I went on a diet, everybody in my family, when I was raising my daughter, they would get nervous. They would say, here we go again. Mommy's going to be hungry and nervous. And there will be just salads for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? And then 
then I would lose a few pounds and then binge again. Here we go again. No structure for food. Mommy's ordering pizza again for dinner, right? There are no, gone are the salads, they're history, right? So when I joined the Vision for You, my husband got a little nervous. He says, what does that mean for us? How are we going to go to a restaurant, to a family reunion? What are you going to cook for dinner? Um, are you going to feel triggered if I eat something that you can eat? Can we go on a romantic dinner? Can we take vacation, right? It took us years. What am I going to tell my mom when you go to the dinner, to Thanksgiving or to, you know, any family or holiday, and you can't eat this or that or the other? How is that going to affect um, the relationship, your relationship with my family, right? It took years. It took years, years. At the very beginning, my mom-in-law and my and my my sisters-in-law, they would feel rejected, right? Because they're Italian, and and every time that we get together, they would welcome me with like piles of spaghetti and ravioli and tiramisu and things that I don't eat, gelato, right? And uh, and now after years and years of practicing what is written in 102, in page 102, that my job is to increase the pleasure of the occasion and to devote um, kindness and attention and companionship to my in-laws in a different way that doesn't require food. Nowadays, when they invite me and when I go to their homes, I have to do two things prepare a huge batch of my um, abstinent food, which everybody loves, right, and wants to eat from. And and then I also have to, um, and, and then I go there and, and my, my sisters-in-law, they always, always prepare me a beautiful green salad without dressing so that I can eat with them from them, right? But it takes it take years. It took years you know, to, to behave that, to learn how to behave that way. Um, okay, so I won't have time to um, go through the whole chapter, and I am going to skip, but I hope that something that, of what I'm telling you, what I'm sharing here, really tickles your interest in this chapter, because it's so full of wisdom, and it's so readily to guide our, our recovery within a family. And um, okay, so I'm going to jump to page 132. It says, we have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect, but we are not a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist in enjoying life. You know, I love this line. Absolutely insist on enjoying life. Tell an addict to absolutely insist on anything. <laughs> We're dangerous people, right? God forbid that we get obsessed with something. Well, here we have a directive, right? You want to belong to a vision for you? Do you want to participate in recovery? Do you want to 
to pack something into the stream of life, we absolutely insist on enjoying life. We try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nation, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. When we see a man sinking into the mire that is alcoholism, we give him first aid and place that we have at his disposal. For his sake, we do recount and almost relieve the horrors of the past. Yeah, right. We do, we do talk about horrible things. But those of us who have tried to shoulder the entire burden and trouble of others find we are soon, we are soon overcome by them. So, so yeah, so, so we absolutely insist on enjoying life. And, and we know that the joy of living, we find it in service, right? So the second that I get upset or anxious, right? If by accident, I, I, my husband is watching the news. I don't consume news anymore. Um, and, and I get upset or worried or scared. Then I go to what I can do well, which is work my program, right? And sponsor somebody. Sometimes I go through the list, the phone list, and I just call somebody randomly just to say, I just wanted to say hi, right? Because we absolutely insist in enjoying life. Are we going to talk about how much we suffer with addiction? Of course, right? Are we even going to talk about like the horrible thing that happened three hours ago? Of course, right? We're going to call one another to ask for a, a companion to do um, a step 10, right? And to not, to not live in column one or two of the inventory. This is the resentment and this is what was done to me and I'm an innocent victim, and I have no part in this, right? Of course we're going to do. But then we absolutely insist in in enjoying life. And why do we do that? Because we're used to pleasure or we used to be spoiled? No. On page 133, it says, we are sure that God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We are sure with total certainty. So if momentarily I don't know what God's will in my life, at least I have these guidelines. My higher power that granted me recovery and granted me not one group, but two, well, actually four, because um, um, we also talk to people in Portuguese and in Italian, but I'm not fluent in Italian or in Portuguese, but I understand what they're saying, because if you understand Spanish, Right, you understand all the Romans languages. And we are absolutely convinced that this is God's will in my life to be happy, to be joyous, to be free. Free not only for the horrible and merciless obsession of the mind and, and in a healthy body way, but also free to help others, to walk with others, to build a fellowship that we crave around us to see your sponsees sponsoring other people, to see your grand, great, great, grand sponsees sponsoring somebody else. That is something that you don't want to miss. It is a fabulous way of life. And then it says, we cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it once was just for that for many of us. 
but it is clear that what that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. My family didn't do it. That country didn't do it. The government didn't do it. I was fabricating my own misery. Avoid then the deliberate manufacture of misery. I replace with that the deliberate manufacturing of joy in service. Avoid, um, but if trouble comes, because of course trouble is going to come. We're alive and we live in this planet, right? Cheerfully, cheerfully capitalize it. An opportunity to demonstrate his omnipotence. I used to be afraid of resentment. I'm not afraid of resentment anymore. When I get a resentment or a fear, right, I say, I see a seed that eventually will open a door for even more love and more service. Okay, so in closing, um, I am going, I can't believe that, you know what, this is my record. I've never spoken in English for 40 minutes. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. I'm really proud of myself. Okay, on page 163, page 163, no, on page 63, um, I've come to love this prayer in meetings um, to close, you know, somebody's, like my, in my case, my share, um, in the we version, right? Um, Angelo and I pray this, um, pray this prayer in the plural way at the end of our day. And I also prayed with my sponsees um, when, when they reach step 10. And it's on the second paragraph of page 63. <clears throat> God, we offer ourselves to thee, to build with us and to do with us as thy wilt. Relieve us from the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will, that we may better do thy will. Take away our difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those we would help of thy power, thy love, and the way of life. May we do our will always. In closing, I am going to tell you that um, three of my blood sisters recovered um, in, in Una Visión Para Ti. And, and now we're um, bonded by not only by your our lineage, right? Our, our we come from the same mom and the same dad, but now um, the four of us we come from the same book, and we have, we've never been so close. I've also had the incredible privilege taking advantage of the family-oriented culture in which I was raised of sponsoring whole families, whole families. I have this family that I still have to visit in Atlanta. Um, I, there were two sisters and two daughters and two sons, and I sponsored them in a Zoom meeting, the six of them together, and all of them are doing well. Okay, I hope that something that I have said today inspire you to, um, if you're celebrating with your family today, to, um, to bring that incredible hope and joy to your family gathering. Um, I pray that you manage to stay abstinent in this day with your loved ones. And um, 
And I hope, I wish for everybody to find an ever-growing family in a vision for you and, and, and beyond. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very, very much, Marcella. How wonderful it has been to have you here this morning sharing on family, family of, of wide margins. I'm so grateful for that. Uh, we will ask her for her contact information at the conclusion of this meeting. So please stay clear to the end so that you can grab that up for a later time. The share ID for Sunday, April 4th, 2021, which is today, is 16702, 16702. That would be for this meeting this morning. You'll be able to gather that up and listen again. The lines are now open for questions. If you have a question for Marcella, please unmute your phone by pressing the star one on your phone keypad. And after you have pressed the unmute, offer your first name, the first letter of your last name. And once you've asked your question too, please press star one again to remute the line. Who would like to ask a question this morning? Wendy B. Wendy B. Sandy B. Sandy B. Anyone else? Okay, let's go with that then. Wendy, first, your question, please, for Marcella. Everyone else, please press star one. Yeah, hi, this is Wendy B. in Arizona. Uh, I was just wondering, um, okay, so when you're done going through the book with your sponsee and, and they're recovered and start sponsoring themselves, what does your um, continued relationship look like with them? So thank you, Wendy, for the question. So we go from studying the book every single day at the same time. We go from um, um, going to like like helping them to get their own sponsee, and then um, we uh, we keep reading the chapters, all the chapters, and then we stay in contact, but not 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 as frequently as we used to. And then they call me and they um, they tell me their service. How is their service coming? And it grew very fast in Spanish. I think that it was before because in part of the culture, it grew very, very fast in Spanish. And the very first woman that I sponsored, I told her, <laughs> I expect you to be just as busy as I am. And, and she, yeah, she's very busy. She's very, very busy. She calls me every once in a while. And uh, and we go through her service, and and sometimes we read we reread something else. So less frequent, but you know I have sponsees that are now most people in Spanish, like the old timers in Spanish, are six years sober now, like six five four. They call me. We're in contact, but um, not as frequently. Thank you so much, Wendy B, for your question. Sandy B, your question, and then it's going to be open for other questions. So, Sandy, first, George. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Sandy B in Virginia, and thank you, uh, Marcella, for doing service. I kind of have two questions. Um, one of them, early on when you first started, you mentioned, um, and I wonder if you could say more about the voices that 
you heard of uh, should I eat this, should I eat that, and how those voices stopped after a while. And my other question is when you mentioned not being afraid of resentment or fear, and when you get a fear or resentment, it will you feel it will open the door for something else, and I didn't get the rest of that. So um, I thank you for for your for your time. Yeah, you know, thank you for for your question. So um, before when I, when I thought I was abstinent, right, uh, and when I was only abstinent of for of, from ingredients, um, then I would spend most of my day saying. Well, this doesn't have any sugar, flour, artificial sweeteners, and it's not alcohol. Should I eat it or shouldn't I eat it? And then once I started weighing and measuring and also adding a schedule, then it was just quiet, just silent, right? Because on awakening, I look at my 24 hours ahead, and the very first thing that I, that I say is, where's my breakfast, where's my lunch, where's my dinner? Where are my snacks if I eat snacks or whatever? Like, what, what, what's my food plan? Where's my food plan? And what am I going to have for breakfast, lunch, dinner? Where? In what social context? Because it's not the same to eat my abstinent food in my kitchen by myself than to eat in a family gathering with my in-laws. It's not the same. So on awakening, I, I, the, food, the, food, the very first thing that I do is solve my food problem. Where are my ingredients? What what is the quantity? What is the volume? What what is my schedule? What can I eat safely so that I can remain abstinent with absolute certainty? So so that's what I do in the morning. I wake up, I think on my twenty four hours ahead. I know what I'm going to eat and in what quantity, in what social context, and at what time, and then and then I do my program. So the food problem is solved, and the result is quiet peace tranquility so that's the first question and the second question i used to be very scared you know just like like we were scared of the pandemic of catching the virus right and getting very sick i used to be scared of um resentment like but who doesn't get a thing a teeny little fear of resentment at the end of the day right but now i'm not anymore when when I see something that makes me feel fear or shame or discomfort, right? I stop, stop, stop. We pause. When agitated of that fall, we stop, right? And then I, I, I don't behave like the crazy jaywalker anymore, right? I don't throw myself into the traffic of, of frantic activity anymore. I stop, full stop, look to the right, look to the left look ahead of me, and then I take a conscious, deliberate decision of what to do. So even if something happens that disturbs me, I know that there's a way out, right? I can talk to somebody else, and then somebody else will help me to see the same thing from a completely different perspective. And that different perspective, which is, you know, go quickly from um, step four to step nine, in my amends, that's where I get the. That's where I get my power back. That's where I don't feel powerless because I have successfully aligned my will to the will of God. And if I'm doing God's will, which is to be happy, joyous, and free, I can't go wrong, right? So now I see resentments as 
when like, let's suppose that you're eating an orange, right? You're eating an orange and then you get a seed. The seed is the resentment. You don't want to bite that seed because it's going to be bitter and it doesn't feel good and doesn't taste good. But you're going to preserve that seed and you're going to plant it because it'll give you another orange. That's the way I see resentments and fears these days. Thank you very much, Sandy B, for your question. Anyone else have a question today for Marcella? Chris G. Chris G. Anyone else? Anna S. Anna S. Who else? Jason K. Tamara C. Jason K. Tamara C. Tamara C. Gotcha. Thanks. Just press star one on your phone keypad with that burning question inside. Okay. Let's see what comes with the next go round. Chris G, then followed by Anna S. Hi, Chris. Your question this morning for Marcella. Hi, everyone. Thank you uh, for bringing this uh, to us today and thank everybody uh, um, that's associated uh, with this um, program. Um, my question is about resentment and anger at God. I think I am asking like when you're sponsoring somebody in steps one, two, and three, and they have put, they have just begged God for relief of this problem with food and and felt like God didn't do anything, that God didn't answer uh, their prayers. How, how do you deal with the resentment and anger uh, at God and, and get past that? And I, I thank you. Thank you for the question. Well, um, the, the, the answer is very simple, and it is just go through the steps as they are described in the big book, right? Because the big book, when we start reading, and don't skip any, like the other day I heard somebody, something in, in an AA group. Um, they said, what, what parts of the big book should you read? And they said, just everything in black. <laughs> in other words, don't skip anything, right? the four words and the preface and everything is reading there for a reason. So if we read, when I study the big book in that way, um, by the time I get to page, by the time I um, get to page 47 in the companionship of a sponsor, I have a completely different perception of a God, a completely entirely different notion for, for for a higher power, right? It's not the old God that who's, who I perceive as faulty, indifferent, or or cruel, or deaf. It's a different one. And and why is it so different? It's different because my sponsor is recovered, and and she or he says that um, that it was the higher power who granted them sobriety. So we're not talking about the same. God. It's a different experience and a different perception. So my answer is just follow the instructions of the book. Thank you so much, Christy, for your question. Anna S. and then Jason K. But Anna, your question first, please. Hi, this is Anna S. in New York. 
Thank you so much, Marcella, for your extraordinary presentation. Um, you mentioned that you work with young children suffering with obesity, and I wanted to know how do you bring the 12 steps into your work with young children? Thank you. Well, thank you for the question. So um, the answer is that um, a child, a young child, it is usually the um, expression of a family malady, malady right? So, um, so the very first thing that I do is explore the grown-ups that are responsible of, for feeding this child. And in many, many, many cases, they're addicts, right? And of course, you know, like parents and caretakers, they want their child to get well, but um, it's very difficult to accept that um, unless they get well, the child doesn't have a chance, right? So, so that's it. Like in a, a lot of my work is to 12-step adults, right? And then for children, you know, that's something that we will eventually in the future we will um, learn how to express these ideas who, which are universal and eternal in child-friendly ways. Because um, doesn't it say in the book, the idea of God is already there in every um, women, men, and child, right? The earlier that we activate the app, the spiritual app in a young person, the battery, the battery, the, 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 maybe we can even prevent, right, drug addiction or alcoholism if we feed our children a spiritual program. And um, so, yeah, so we will never get bored. Like, we will never get bored, right? How do we apply these principles in all areas of our lives? Well, that's what I do for a living, right? Um, Right, that's the that's the psychology that I practice. That 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 that's what I do. Like absolutely insist in the principle, um, in the spiritual principles of our program, and um, it tailors everything that I do, and and everywhere I go. And thank you for the thank question. You. Thank you, Anna, for the question. Jason K, your question, please, and then Tamara will follow you. Yes, thank you. This is Jason K. Um, Thank you, Marcella. I just, I'm curious, uh, I, and I appreciate what you just said about how everything is very integrated in the spiritual way of life, but how do you balance um, time commitments and commitments to a full-time career, to a family life, to um, service? Um, yeah, what's the balancing act look like for you, and how do you, do you have to sort of reprioritize at times, and how do you make it all work? Um, thank you for that question. It's a very relevant question. Um, um, the, the, the way that the answers are on page 86. I mean, these things, we don't, we, we read them, right? And then we say, yeah, 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 I read that page already. Well, how about start to practice it? It says right there, right? On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. So that's how I start my day. I, even, I don't even use the alarm because I've been living year, years, years living with the same schedule. So I wake up. God wakes me up ready to play around 5, 5 in the morning, right? 
and then I consider my plans for the day. What do I do first? Get the food out of the way. Where's my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner? Where is it? And where am I? What time am I going to eat? And what social context I'm going to eat? Right. That's the very beginning. Then I do program until 10 o'clock in the morning, more or less. Then I work. I work. I'm, nowadays that I, in terms of pandemic, I work from home, so it's very flexible, right? When I take my lunch break here from home, I take a walk with my husband because I eat. Um, I eat in another break, right? And by myself, I like to eat by myself in during the work time. And uh, so that's what I do. And then when I'm done working for for my agency where I'm employed, right? Then we go for walks. And then at night, I usually do um, uh, uh, another meeting, usually in Spanish, AA in Spanish in Mexico City. And then Sundays, I mean, I hope that you don't model by me. I'm kind of crazy. I am like that extravagant chap with queer ideas of fun, <laughs> right? To me, everything that is interesting and worthy in life has to do with the big book. I think that I'm an extreme case, right? So just like the Dr. Bob says in, the, in Dr. Bob's Nightmare, if you want to recover, spend half of the seal, half of the seal. What is the seal? Time, energy, and money, half of it into your program, right, so that you can recover. Um, and then if you read in, the, in Dr. Bob and the old timers, they say, Dr. Bob was so radical. Just spend, just invest a 10% of the seal, the time, the energy, and the money that you used to invest in eating, dieting, obsessing about food, obsessing about looks, worrying about food, worrying about your weight. Just invest a 10% of that energy of that vital energy into recovery you will recover not only you will recover you will acquire this incredible power to pass it on what's not to like thank you so much for the question jason tamara c your question thank you this is tamara c uh, gratefully recovered in california thank you so much for your service and Thank you for this um, share. I really appreciate the topic. I got a lot out of it. And my question is, um, would you share a little more of your um, experience with the road of reconstruction with your husband? Um, maybe give an example of how you um, might work through a 10th step on your husband. Uh, well, I think that I have a very, thank you for the question, I have a very unfair advantage, right, because I live with a sober alcoholic, so we share the same language, we, we, we share some of our same community, we are kind of like on the line. What I have known in, well, at the very beginning, right, 10 years ago, um, we would have, we would fight, of course we fight. Right, we had disagreements and then like misunderstandings and different interests and things like that. And but we would always find our way back because we shared the program, right? But lately, we have found that, um, and it's it's really a miracle. Angela and I share this little home. Uh, we live in a thousand square feet in a in a condo basement in Boston, and we've been together nonstop. 24-7 for 11, for 13 months now, 
sharing the same space. We still like each other, and we haven't like killed each other. Right? We still, we still, we still love each other. And um, and I think that the balance is we have become very nimble, very nimble. Of course, we have misunderstandings, but the second that we get into that um, that you know that area of disagreement potentially or 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 different interests or whatever, we know how to pause. Like we, I can feel him pausing, right, and thinking of something better to do, and I see myself pausing. And and so we're we're becoming faster, I guess. At our that's what we're doing, like way faster. We get out of trouble way faster. It's not lack of trouble, it's how we get out of trouble way, way faster than Angela and I are very complimentary. I'm wildly extrovert. I'm wildly social. I love people. I love crowds. I, I I need a lot of people in my life, and Angelo is very introvert. He needs solitude. He needs privacy because he's in his creative space. He's a musician and a painter, so he likes to be alone. He likes to be quiet. Um, very few people um, conform his social network, right? So we're very complementary that way, and... Um, and we have learned how to live with one another, remaining sober in recovery and praying to God. What can I tell you? It's a process. Thank you so much, Tamara G. For your question. Anyone else have a question this morning for Marcella? Judy K. Judy I do K. Have a question. I have Ramona. Pedro. Okay. Pedro. Ramona. Ramona. Gotcha. Anybody else? You're up first, Judy Kay, and then Pedro will follow you with his question. Hi, Judy. Hi. Um, this is Judy Kay, recovered in North Carolina. And um, thank you, first of all, for your wonderful talk today. Family. Family is a loaded subject for a lot of people. And my question is this. You said that you have four sisters. You share not only parents, but you share a book now. And my question is, were you an influencer in the recovery? Did you work with family? Because the message I get from the big book is to keep my mouth shut about family, um, that that I'm... (laughs) that all I can do is recover, recover, recover to be any kind of influence. And it's very frustrating when, you know, when you find that there is a solution to not share it with people you love. So my question is, was that a balancing act for you? Did you work with your family? Um, Do you have any tips on that subject? Thank you. Thank you for the question. That's a very important question. I got the exact same message as you did. <laughs> I was like three months sober and clean and recovered. And is it now, like, where's my family? I want my sisters back today. I want them back in my life, right, today. And no, 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 no. So, that, so the amends for many years was just recover, recover, recover. My sponsor said, 
Well, just every once in a while, post something on Facebook, right? Just just so that they know that you didn't die, that you take a shower every day, that you're employed, and that you're not <clears throat> psychiatrically insane anymore. That you're not suicidal, right? That that you live an an, an orderly life, and that's what I did. I would post like four times on Facebook. I'm not a Facebook kind of person, but just to do that. Um, I posted like four pictures of myself a year. So with the hopes that my sisters will know that I was not dying anymore. I am one of the four sisters, so it's just three more, right? And then, um, so my sisters haven't seen me in 15 years because they didn't want to see me because they were scared of me. And um, so I was, you know, years over. Let me see how many. Six years um, abstinent, six years abstinent working the program to the best of my ability. When I went to Mexico, not to see my sisters, to lead a big book workshop on, on Una Visión Para Ti. That's the reason I went to Guadalajara, Mexico. And But my sisters found out, one of my sisters found out, and and she came to um, to see me from afar. She didn't even, like, said, I'm going definitely going to be there just to see me from afar to see if those pictures in Facebook were indeed me. So she saw me from afar, and then in a little break, she came and, and, and she came to me and said, I just came to see you and say hi. She didn't know what I was doing in Mexico. She had no idea what, I was, what the big book was about. And we hugged and we kissed and we cried. And I'm saying this with her permission because I always we always tell this story. And we cried. She cried because I was still alive and I haven't died. And I was not drunk, high, bulimic, anorexic, morbidly obese. And I cried because she was morbidly obese. So we hugged and we cried, but I didn't say a thing. And on her way out, she heard just one line. If I'm not hungry for food, then what am I hungry for? She came to her home, and three days later, she said, "She said, show me your group. Where, where, where's your group? Show me your group. So I included her in the group, again, without saying a word. I didn't sponsor her. She found her own sponsor. I have no idea what she eats or what she doesn't eat. I am not part of her step work, and now she has recovered. She was the attraction for the other sister and the other sister. My my sister number three, she lost all the weight, and then after a while, you know, after um, after studying the big book and the doctor's opinion and step one, she realized that she had just been a heavy eater. She was not an addict. She was not an addict. So she doesn't she doesn't um, she doesn't need the solution because. She just ate too much. But then once, you know, she came to the group and she just gathered a schedule and a, and, and a, a loose guide for food, she lost all the weight and she doesn't have the problem anymore. But now we have this, you know, line of thinking that we share. So, yeah, so I, so yes, recover, recover, recover. Don't preach. Just be happy, joyous, and free. Increase the, the pleasure of the occasion that's, that's that's the same guideline that I that I got. Thanks, Judy Kay, for your question. Pedro B, your question, please. 
star one. Can I be heard? Loud and clear. Yeah. Uh, Marcela? Yes. See, uh, uh, I I met you in, oh. in I met you in in LA at the uh, OA convention. Oh yeah. Where are you? Yeah. Do you remember, remember you. me? Do you do you remember me? And of I. I should I should have been connected with you, you know, and and my 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 addictions and my you know, uh, I I haven't been able. I, I want to get your your phone number and call you because I want you you spoke about uh, uh, una visión para ti en español. My vision yeah, for you. Yeah, just stay on the line and and I'll give my phone number. I'll give it to you right now. Okay. We not Marcella. Marcella, we'd rather oh, not oh. have it on the recorded line, please. Thanks. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. It, it's just right. too dangerous. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So my question, my question is, um, what time are the, the Spanish-speaking uh, meetings in California? I, I live in California, so California time. Is it once a day or uh, once a week or the meeting well, in Spanish? Well, una visión para ti has. Um, many many outlets. We are on Telegram. We're 24/7 with recordings, and then we have two Zoom meetings. If you go to the website that I'll give to you after the meeting is over, um, uh -huh. you'll see. Mm -hmm. Why, right, Marcela? Thank you very much. By the way, you're welcome. You're, I I can feel your recovery. I can. Yeah. I saw it when I met you, but I I just listening to you is like. Wow, this is a recovered woman. This is this is real. This is a real woman with real recovery. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that I got to hear you today. Thank you for for sharing. Mm -hmm. Gracias a Dios. Mm -hmm. sí, gracias a Dios. Thank you, Pedro, for your for your visit here and your question as well. I um, just want to remind folks that. Uh, the uh, the meeting that Marcel is speaking about is a registered meeting with Overeaters Anonymous. And you might want to visit about that and your OA.org website to get more details on that. Ramona A, your question, please. Hi, this is Ramona A in Vermont. And uh, hi, Marcella, and thank you so much for all your all you say and all you do. And my question is, um, I'm assuming and I've heard before that you travel a lot, and I'm going to be traveling for 10 or 12 days near the end of April, and I'm wondering how do you handle your food when you're gone longer than you can pack it into one, you know, one uh, lunch bag type container. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, that's an excellent question. Yeah, I do travel a lot. And well, not in the pandemic. I haven't traveled in the last 13 months. Um, but when I but but when I traveled, I I packed my um, my lunchbox with containers and a little scale. And uh, every time, and I always I always uh, travel with one meal. And then when I eat my meal, I usually I'm in airports, right? I buy my next meal. And you know, there's always lean protein and salad wherever you go. Wherever you go, there's always um, a portion of, of safe protein that I can eat, and a salad with no dressing that I can eat. And I trust everything that is packed by nature, not by men. That's a very has been a very good guideline. And everywhere I go, 
I'm safe because, you know, I kept sometimes in my lunchbox there's just one meal, right? And um I never had trouble. Where there's a where there's a wheel, where there's a total surrender that I'm different, that my body is not different, that I'm violently allergic to certain substances, there's always, always, always a way. So yeah, I have traveled a lot with no problem whatsoever. Thank you, Ramona A, for your question. We have time for a couple more questions this morning. If you would like to ask Marcella a question, just press star one on your phone keypad. Hi, Melissa, I have a question. Your name is Melissa? Yeah. Hi, Melissa. What's the first initial of your last name? W, sorry. And where are you calling from? Do you mind telling us what state? New York. Hi. Okay, great. Your question, please. Uh, hi. Thank you so much for your share. I got so much out of it, and I really, um, I really identified um, as you as you qualified. So, um, I, I guess the the best way to frame my question is. I love how you defined abstinence in this program as analogous to the way we define, I'm also an alcoholic, the way we define abstinence um, in AA as the, I guess it's just the allergy and the doctor's opinion um, and the mental obsession and all of that. And I would be curious to understand how for yourself and how we, when you sponsor, you think about the journey to abstinence, meaning, and in terms of like when you go through the steps, almost like a timeline and um, in the steps, the spiritual journey, and I'll be really specific, is it, um, do you sort of think about needing to be totally abstinent before you work the steps? Is it that your abstinence is something where at first you are abstinent from one thing and then you realize over time as you get closer to God um, that you uh, need to be abstinent from other things? And then the other thing is, um, is part of your um, part of your spiritual sickness was behaviors like purging or whatever. What does that look like for you? Sorry, that was a long question. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not a long question. I've been asked that many times. It's basically, I think that the question is what to eat and how to eat. Is that the question? Yeah, and also just the definition of abstinence and um, the road to get there. Because my abstinence has, I've actually, um, I've gone to not actually really spent time in, in vision for you, but more, I guess, other OA meetings. And with different sponsors, just had different definitions of abstinence and, you know, heard different things. My abstinence is this, my abstinence is that. And I know no one can tell you what abstinence is, but um, I'd love to hear from you what that looks like, how one, what that looks like. Everything is written in the big book. Everything is written in the big book. If you go to page XXX, it says um, the phenomenon, this phenomenon of craving 
in the in the paragraph that is almost at the bottom. It says all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. These phenomena, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy. And then it says at the end, the only relief, the only relief, we have to suggest this entire abstinence. But now, just as we read these words, the very first line explains why we are so resistant to accept what's the meaning of entire abstinence. It says, this immediately precipitates us in a seething cauldron of the bait, right? Because I don't know if you have ever seen a drug addict, a heroin addict, or a crack addict, maybe even in movies, right? If a drug addict feels threatened that they're going to take a drug away from them, oh, you better be not nearby because they can get violent. They can get like really dangerous because they hallucinate monsters and they really feel that they're going to die. So of course your addict self, the addict self is going to defend, right? Defend the right to use your drug. Like that happened to me, right? At the very beginning when I joined or thought I had joined away, um, I was, um, my very first group was everything in moderation, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all kinds of foods in moderation. Well, good luck. I can't moderate. I'm not that kind of person. Maybe one day I was able to moderate. I can't anymore, right? I can't anymore. Now, frankly, OA is 60, 62, 63 years old. We were born in 1960, so we're 61, right? Like the collective, the collective experience of OA as a whole seems to suggest, and we're not professionals, we're not professionals in nutrition, but our collective experience, our global collective experience of 61 years seems to suggest that we're violently violently allergic, not in the immunological sense, but in the abnormal reaction sense to sugar, flour, artificial sweeteners, and I'll throw alcohol because alcohol is the queen of sugars. It seems to suggest that we have to be very careful. Another way of saying is carbs, salty and sugar. It seems to suggest, right? Now, of course, now, and I know a little bit about this because, you know, people, like, we don't know what people are eating from one country to another because, for example, in Colombia, people eat arepas. In in Puerto Rico, people eat víveres. In Spain, people eat judías. In Mexico, people eat um, um, achiote. Like, there are so many things that have food names and we don't even know what it means, right? But if you go to the ingredients, I follow Ruth M. She has many, many uh, recordings here in A Vision for You. Ruth M., she knows her, when she talks about the doctor's opinion and entire abstinence, oh, she's so eloquent. She's so eloquent. And she talks about how we don't even eat things that remind us, right, of the, of the food that is alcoholic to us. 
Another way of knowing what are you allergic to is the first paragraph of We Agnostics, where it says, if when you decide that you don't want to drink anymore, you find that you're unable or capable of doing it, or if when you start drinking, you have zero control of the amount that you're eating, that you're eat, drinking, that thing is probably allergic to you, right? So I know that many people go to the nutritionist and then we bring the nutritionist to the, the sponsor. And, and that's my experience. In 10 years of entire abstinence, I have switched my plan, my food plan, two or three times um, for health reasons. There was a time in which I was nine months completely entirely vegan because um, the doctor wanted to lower my intake of animal protein. Lately in pandemic, I got a very acute case of diverticulitis, so I had to eat differently again. And, um, and the road, in my experience, keeps getting clearer and clearer. Like, as we walk in this recovery path, and as we age, I'm 60 years old, almost 61, almost 61 years old, I found that I, my food needs are smaller, right, that are smaller, and that there are things that I used to tolerate at the very beginning that I can't eat anymore. So it is a process. It is a process. It's a flow. But if there is a willingness to be entirely honest under the care of a God who designed not only my body, but the food that I'm eating, right, with that level of trust, oh, the entire abstinence is perfectly, perfectly doable wherever we go. Thank you very much. Melissa, Melissa W. from New York. Appreciate that. Anyone else with a question this morning before we close? This will be the last um, invitation to ask a question. Probably room for one, maybe two. Well, then we can consider that all questions have been asked today and, and on the uh, uh, evidence of your telephone number, maybe those will continue for you at another time. Thanks again, Marcella for giving so much of yourself this morning and your generosity. I appreciate that so very, very much. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for all you do. Mm -hmm. Just remind everybody that we will ask Marcella for her contact information at the close of the meeting. But for now, let's close the way we always do at A Vision for You by reading from page 164 of our big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you 